One of my favorite drinks is a simple Jack and Coke. It doesn't take much to mix one. Just pour the whiskey in a glass, plunk in a few ice cubes, and follow it with Coke. That was my wedding drink during all those years when my friends were getting married. Sometimes rum and Coke took its place, or lots of beer. I didn't have my first taste of alcohol until the middle of my junior year in high school. Until that point, I was adamantly against drinking or smoking of any kind. Then a bunch of friends picked up a pack of Stroh's beer, somewhere in the middle of a football practice field with the lights of the stadium behind us. I took my first swig of beer. I hated it. It burned my throat. This isn't a tale about how, from that point on, I secretly descended into some private alcohol hell that I've kept concealed from friends and family for years. I'm lucky I avoided such a fate. Yet, in many ways, it's been a long, strange trip with drinking alcohol. The boys and I admittedly drank a bit in college. No doubt about that. For a bunch of skinny guys who ran 80 to 90 miles a week, We'd sure pound the beers. Some of those college running teammates even struggled with drinking. One of them died of alcoholism after college. We used to go out for runs for him around town on Sunday morning to find his car after a night of drinking. None of us thought that these collegiate habits were genuine problem drinking, but they were real problems. A lot of us flirted with them. After cross-country season, during my freshman year, our team had this massive party with a giant vat of booze mixed together from all sorts of high-alcohol content liquor. I remember, I think there was even grain alcohol in there. I drank too much, too fast, and wound up having to be carried back to the dorm room where I lay collapsed in an overnight stupor. It was a blackout. I awoke had soreness in my back. I'd never experienced that before. It was pain in my liver. I could have easily died from alcohol poisoning. I had one other incident like that when a college girlfriend got me wicked drunk one night out. She thought that I spent too much time running. That was obviously not a healthy relationship, and I broke it off not long after that. Incidents like these It didn't really happen after college, and I've never really struggled with anything close to alcohol addiction. But recently, the habit of having a drink every night struck me as something more than a treat. It started to feel like a habit. I caught my brain thinking, oh boy, it's almost five o'clock. You can have a drink then. That made me rethink my habits because it was a warning sign. I take that stuff seriously. Some people might say, well, it's a natural product of the pandemic. People are saying that. Everyone's just trying to cope. Others might say, and they might be right in my case, that drinking was a response to the brain-numbing idiocy of Donald Trump. I'll buy that. The stress I felt the last four years to the madness of the insurrection welled up from this underlying sense of betrayal and it led to an anger that I found hard to reconcile. I care a lot about social justice, and all I could see out there was a selfish brand of evil and blatant cognitive dissonance that was sequentially being denied through gaslighting. In the face of lies like that, 
it actually made sense to have a drink now and then. I sincerely wish Trump had turned out to be a good person. I actually really do, but he didn't. And that's because he's addicted to the one thing, far worse than drugs or alcohol, himself. The reason I take potential warning signs about drinking so seriously is that I know from personal experience and people I know that drug addiction is a serious problem. Once it gets in front of you, it's hard to push out of the way. Good people close to me in all stages of life have dealt with drug addictions of one kind or another. On the basis of my own experience, I view each of these situations without judgment. My only instinct is to help people any way that I can. And yet, it's hard to know what to say to people you care about when they're in a cycle of disruptive drinking or drug addiction. Everything feels at risk. So like they say, it takes a village sometimes. At one point, a close friend called called me up to ask for help with a mutual buddy. I'm too close to him, he admitted. He's out of control sometimes. Can we get him to some counseling? What happened next was valuable and instructive. That hard-drinking friend accepted help because it was offered in kindness. He took steps to moderate his drinking. But as every person with an addiction can tell you, the hard work of sobriety is never really through. The most classic case that I know of is the singer-songwriter Amy Winehouse. There's probably no more heartbreaking story than hers because she even wrote a song called Rehab. You probably know some of the lyrics. I don't ever want to drink again. I just, ooh, I just need a friend. I'm not going to spend 10 weeks and have everyone think I'm on the mend. And it's just not my pride. It's just till these tears have dried. They tried to make me go to rehab, but I said, no, no, no. This I've been black, but when I come back, you'll know, no, no. I ain't got the time. The reasons why so many people choose to drink are manifold. There's no doubt that drinking is a form of self-medication. That's the first thing anyone needs to realize. Last winter, I was having fun each night down in a glass of fireball cinnamon whiskey to ward off the cold winter chills after walking the dog through two feet of snow and temps of five below. A couple nights, I imbibed with a second glass, then a third. And one night, I wound up a bit drunk. I walked smack into a chair on the way to the kitchen and stopped to consider what that meant. That's when I started to moderate that drinking and eased off considerably. When the fireball ran out, I said, enough's enough. I didn't buy another. Since that time, I've kept a closer eye on alcohol consumption. We all should. Today's Chicago Tribune published a lengthy article about the fact that women are now tied one-to-one with men in having drinking problems. The ratio used to be three-to-one advantage men. So while women are catching up and passing men in many worthy categories of life, that's one category in which gender equality is not all that desirable. The article shares that women have unique challenges coping with alcohol addiction. Some are physical, others are social or emotional. Studies are being done to ascertain the source and symptoms unique to alcohol consumption among women. So I've done my best to keep away from habit drinking, 
I write instead. <laughs> I'll admit that I do have a writing habit. I have three blogs, a Medium page, articles on LinkedIn, and work as a writer for a living. So I'll say it clear. I'm addicted to writing. That is one confession I am here to make. When people in writing groups say that I, they don't know what to write about, a voice goes off in my head and says, what the hell are you talking about? I can't not write. Problem. My writing spills into social media. That can be an addiction unto itself, along with my iPhone. I know that some people in my life see that as a problem. They've told me so. I've also made mistakes getting into arguments online and oversharing is a problem. I'm aware of all this. It's hard to quit. But like all things in life, I'm almost tired of the weight it brings. So it might self-resolve. So here's apologies to all I've offended, if need be. To that end, some people in my life are actually estranged from me and no longer engage with me at all. Not in any way that they used to. Phone calls, emails, nothing. Some of those I miss, but others not so much. It's kind of a product of the times we live in. My excuse for writing so much is that writing helps me deal with anxiety and to process life in general. I write about religion and politics, environment and nature, caregiving and character. Writing helped me through 15 years of caregiving for my mom and dad and my late wife. Despite massive amounts of help that I got along the way, there were many times when I felt entirely alone in my position. I struggled making the right decisions along the way. That's the case when life piles that stuff up on you and someone you love is on the line. Writing helped me sort all that out. For that process, I feel no need to apologize. It's called dealing with it. Productivity matters. Over the last year, I've completed work on two books scheduled to be published in the coming year. So while my writing leads me in many directions, it also has a central focus. I'm getting things done. My dream is to become a well-known writer. If I don't achieve that, I'm going to die trying. This weekend, while my wife is away visiting her mother, I plan to drink lots of ice water, do some running and riding and swimming, and walk the dog in pretty places. This is also part of my concerted plan to reduce a bit of weight around my gut that I credit to years of ingesting too many carbs, that's an old runner habit, as well as alcohol. I have friends that cut out booze entirely. Hello, For Forrest and Carolyn, and have lost 10 to 20 pounds of excess weight. It's like booze weight and sugar weight. So let's be honest. Beer and wine are spirits that are nothing more than liquid calories. Born of sugar and intensified with the brain-pleasing effects of alcohol, we grow fatter by degrees. I hate unnecessary fat. There are times when I was too skinny as well. At one point in my late 20s, I realized I was a bit addicted to running. My body fat percentage was 3% because my running habit consumed nearly 100% of me. Whenever things went wrong in life, I turned to running in an I'll-show-them state of mind. For many years, it helped me cope with exasperation and anger wrought from early experiences in life. There was an approval-driven motivation that vexed my soul. 
I worked through that and collared those instincts eventually. Now I run and ride to build balance in life because they make me feel good physically and emotionally. Those activities are proven tools to help people deal with anxiety and depression. They also promote better physical health. My resting pulse rate is 47. My blood pressure is 118 over 78. My cholesterol just got checked and it's right where it should be. I just want to lose 10 pounds of fat around my middle and back. Frankly, there's a selfish reason. I want to be faster. (laughs) Without those physical releases, though, perhaps the drinking thing might have more control over my life. I would regret that. History shows that many great writers struggled with alcohol addiction. We all need extra balance. Some got that through booze, as Psychology Day article I found makes note. A few great writers actually wrote under the influence. But it it had this one part that struck me. It said one psychiatrist actually did a study to try to figure out why so many great American writers drank like fish. Donald Goodman of Washington University argued that there could be a genetic link between writing ability and alcoholism, with manic depression perhaps the common thread. F. Scott Fitzgerald, who was the poster child for the image of the imbibed author, he called alcohol, quote, the writer's vice, and was known to introduce himself as F. Scott Fitzgerald, the well-known alcoholic, appeared to suffer from that condition. I may not be a great writer yet, but I know that some, you know, I know my limits and how to drink socially without going over the line. That said, like many dopes, I've done and said a few stupid things under the influence over the years. Over time, it's important to realize that relationships and life are much too important to let drinking or drugs get out of control. That goes for pot as well as booze. As pertains to pot, the term addiction carries too much cultural weight and throws people off the fact that while pot is not technically addictive, the drug can still formulate the mind around a desire to use it. To its credit, however, pot is a medically approved and now legal drug in many states across the country. It's been persecuted for decades as a supposed gateway drug, but much of that was political jargon. It was meant to disguise efforts at filling profit-oriented jails and to fulfill wrong-headed and racially charged assumptions about certain cultures. Now one of the best athletes in the world is being prevented from competing in the Olympics because she smoked pot to cope with the news delivered by a stranger that her biological mother had died. Lying to ourselves about drug use is one thing, but lying up the reasons why Some drugs, like alcohol, are culturally tolerated, while others are used to punish people, is hypocrisy. Shakari Richards should be running in the Olympics. She proved herself worthy on many levels. Not just athletically, but honestly, there's a major lesson in that for all of us. Thinking about all of this gives me more empathy for people caught in cycles of their own habits. I have my daily struggles with life's complexities just like everyone else. But here's an offer. If any of you listening to this feels like you're in that space or you wish you weren't, I invite you to reach out to me. You have a person who cares about you, whether we know each other already or not. 
If you want to talk, you can email me at cudworthfix at gmail.com. I'm serious as heck about this. We all need each other. I've been given so much help in life. So my offer is made in gratitude and sincerity of that fact. We're all on this long, strange trip of life together. It's a road trip of sorts. And it's never safe to drink and drive. <laughs>